What is going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the doghouse here on the OBR streaming network. The OBR is the biggest, oldest, independent Cleveland Browns site in the city of Cleveland, and it's got the best Browns coverage everywhere. If you're not tuned in to the OBR, whether it's the website uh, to get all the best coverage from our writers or whether it's here on the OBR streaming network, make sure while you're watching tonight, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and make sure you check it out because during the season, we've got five days worth of shows coming at you uh, on the OBR streaming network all about the Cleveland Browns. I'm your host, Michael Keefe, here on the Dog Doghouse. And if you haven't checked us out on the Doghouse before, here's the show. We're going to bring somebody, and we got a great special guest. He's sitting in backstage right now. I'm going to bring him in in a minute. But we're going to bring in a special guest from behind enemy lines, and we're going to bring him into the Doghouse, and we're going to talk about the upcoming game, and it's a big one here tonight. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns, and a team that nobody here in Cleveland likes to talk about all that much, but the Baltimore Ravens, and we are set up for an absolutely massive, as about as big as it gets, I think, early season matchup with a division opponent, the Browns and the Ravens, uh, and we're going to talk about that here tonight. But again, if you're joining us live, make sure you jump in the comments. As long as your comments are nice, as long as you, I'm not going to bring you in if you're being rude, but as long as your comments are nice, I'll bring you in, we'll get your comments, we'll get your questions asked, but we're going to get... Uh, a a two-sided look at the upcoming matchup from both perspectives to see how the Ravens and their reporters and their fans are feeling about the upcoming game against the Browns, and we'll give it right back uh, from the Browns' perspective. So again, uh, feel free to jump in, jump into the comments. We're going to have a good time here tonight. Joining me in the doghouse here tonight, he is the host of the Lockdown Ravens podcast. He really does an awesome job. Uh, This dude is out here talking about the Ravens every single day. Uh, Real quick, uh, in the comments, Philly asks, do you have to be nice to me? No. And actually, I'd prefer you didn't. That would make me very uncomfortable. So don't you don't have to be nice to me. Uh, he covers the Ravens on the Lockdown Ravens podcast. He's a writer for the Ravens Wire. He's really tuned in to the Baltimore Ravens. So he's going to give us a good look at what the Ravens got going on. We're really excited to bring him on right now. It's Kevin Ostriker. Kevin, welcome on into the doghouse, buddy. Hey, Mike, I appreciate you having me on. I, you, you said it right at the top there. This is a huge matchup, two really good teams, and uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out for, for both of them. I'd like to throw it out. I don't want you to get too, you know, you're, you're coming into enemy territory. You're, we call it the doghouse for a reason. But some people are saying nice things. Surge here in the comments. Baltimore does have yes, delicious blue yes. crabs. So that might be the nicest thing that gets said tonight. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, I'll take it. That's a good comment. If that's, if that's the top of the bar... That's a good one to have. No, you know what? I actually spend a lot of time. These people know when they watch me, I'm usually in a hotel in Maryland. And uh, uh, I, I eat a lot of good seafood down there in Maryland. So I like Annapolis, but Baltimore's all right, too. Baltimore's yeah, all right, yeah, too. Yeah, the Old Bay going on. That's my favorite thing. I love Old Bay. So it's, it's a Maryland thing. So I love that. 100%. And uh, on chicken wings, too. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. I, don't know if you know, I don't know if people know this, but you go east, and even when you go to the gas station... Uh, sunflower seeds are old base seasoned when you yeah, get over you towards put, Maryland. Put it so. on everything, literally everything. It's the best. It is the best. Uh, Paul Spencer says, thank you for the wire. Yeah. Well, that's I, hey, one. Listen, I love you guys. I love the niceness. I don't, I don't know that we're going to be this nice the whole time because Once it is the Browns. Ball, it might get a little different, but yeah, it is the Browns. It is the Ravens. Kevin, I'm going to warn you up front. I've said this forever here in Cleveland. We love our rivalries, even though we haven't really had them in like 30 years. We love our Brown Steelers rivalry, even though Pittsburgh people don't even remember that that's a thing. Um, I got to tell you, man, your football team is the one that just it. I I remember, I remember watching my team leave. Sure, 
I remember being here and watching my team. Your your football team over there, Kevin, is the one that just that's the one that that <laughs> eats away at me. So I'm really excited for this week, and I'm excited. You know, we've had it just sporadically throughout the years, but I'm excited that we're going to get a Browns Ravens game. And even though it's early in the season, it mean this game means something. This is two teams that are fighting for everything in this division. Oh, sure. 100%. I mean, right now it's a three-way tie atop the North with, uh, I don't know if people have the Bengals being at the bottom right now, but uh, there, I think it makes people happy, you know, Ravens, Browns, Steelers fans that they are. But three, really, four teams that could make the playoffs this year. And I've, I've said it throughout the offseason, Mike, but I think every divisional win, every AFC win is so important this year, maybe a little more so because of how competitive the conference is expected to be. I think it's gotten off to a little bit of a slower start than maybe some people thought it would. But the Ravens, I think, missed an opportunity last week to go up and get a 3-0 undefeated record against the Colts. They atop that division. So, you know, Browns right now, they, they it was a tough loss to Pittsburgh. I know they went in there and they beat Cincinnati in week one. But this is a huge game. Divisional record has a huge impact on what seeding can be divisional record and in a divisional, I think is going to be so close. We, both fan bases, depending on who wins and who loses, or maybe there's a tie, which I hate. I do not like ties, by the way. It's not even like, talk about that. No, but let's, <laughs> let, win or lose, fan bases are going to look back on this game maybe and say, man, what if they just won this one? Or we're so glad they won this one. And I know it's early in the season, so it's like, oh, you know, it's still time to recover. But again, wins add up early. And the same, by the same token, so do losses. I'm interested in your perspective because we we all talk about teams in the AFC North. We talk about the Browns. You talk about the Ravens. But you brought up the Bengals real quick. And, and nobody really saw them starting the way they have started, even though they've been a slow starting team. And they will be the first ones that tell you that. Every Bengals fan will tell you that they started 0-2 last year. It's a little different, though, this year. Do you, do you think as you watch them, do you think they maybe made a mistake by rushing Joe Burrow out there and not letting him get completely 100% before the season? Yeah, I, th I think it was a bit of a ill-guided decision, I would call it, because now the issue is you're already in a slow start. I mean, if they had lost to the Rams last night, that would have been just catastrophic, and it was closer than maybe some people thought it would be. But if Burrow, luckily for him and the Bengals, there were no setbacks with that. You never want to see a guy go down and get injured, so I'm glad he got out of the game unscathed. But if something acts up if he re-aggravates that injury again and then you have to put him on IR in like week seven you're essentially punting the season because regardless of who you know whether it's Jake Browning or I know they signed you know Agent McCarron that's not Joe Burrow <laughs> regardless of who your receivers are out there it, it would not go well especially in the, the three teams I think all four teams have good defenses in the north but that's Baltimore's defense Pittsburgh's defense Cleveland's defense Got to go up against those at least one more time before the season ends. The Bengals also have a first-place schedule, so they have to play Kansas City and Buffalo and all those teams. So I don't really know what they would do in that situation. I guess they just have to hope that he can manage the injury and the team can manage the injury enough to where he can go out there and do enough. But he looks hobbled right now. He's never been a big arm strength guy in the first place, and – even so, with a bum calf, he's a, he's a slippery quarterback when he's fully healthy, but I don't think he has as much mobility with the way that that calf is. Obviously, there's pain tolerance, and for him, it's a matter of just being able to make sure you don't feel that pain, go out there, play football. But if something really acts up and he has to go on IR midseason, I mean, that pretty much spells disaster for him. So I would have kept him out, you know, maybe put him on IR for the first four weeks to bring him back week five. And they might have had the same record that they do right now anyway. Exactly. With Burrow out there with Burrow out and whoever the backup is in. 
Yeah, if you're if you're so confident in being a slow starting team, shouldn't have scared you that much to say, hey, we're going to let our Pro Bowl uh, MVP level quarterback get healthy. Uh, Kevin, and again, uh, Kevin Ostreicher here from uh, the Locked On Ravens podcast from Ravens Wire. Uh, follow him online, K Ostreicher, uh, and I'll let you see the spelling there on the screen. Thirty four at Twitter. Uh, but Kevin, the first thing we always do, we like to learn a little bit about our guests. How'd you get hooked up with Lockdown, with Ravens Wire? How'd you get hooked up with covering the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, and honestly, um, it, it was, I've been very grateful for my journey and, and I've had a couple of mentors who have helped me along the way, you know, connects me with some people. Then the, the for Locked On, it was my mentor connecting me with one of the people up top at Locked On. I actually did a social media internship with them out in L.A., for a summer and you know that was when they were still you know they were getting big at the time but the social media wasn't really there yet and so I was you know making graphics and promoting the shows and then right at the end of the summer when I was about to head back and at the time I was also working for ABC TV in their news department you know writing up stuff and by the time I was ready to go back I was a junior in college at this point I was going back for my senior year I noticed that every NFL show had a host except for the Ravens one and I was, you know, kind of because I've been a Ravens fan my whole life, you know, Baltimore born and raised. Well, actually, I was born in Virginia, but been here for most of my life and, you know, was a huge Ravens fan, still am. But I kind of jokingly said, oh, you know, if you need a Ravens host tonight, I had no radio experience, no, you know, any experience. <laughs> I said, if you need a Ravens guy, you know, I'm, I I can do that for you. And they're like, oh, really? And I wasn't expecting them to say like, oh, yeah, you can. Do. So I, I submitted a, you know, a little clip for them and they ended up giving me. Uh, the job I've been doing it now for over four years. It was crazy. We started off as a uh, about 150 followers on Twitter. The show had been inactive for six months, and wow. uh, I've grown it now to the point where we're a big community on YouTube, big community on Twitter, and and it's been really cool. That that's where I like get joy is seeing the community grow and seeing people engage with my content and everything. And then for USA Today, it was I, I reached out to the former managing editor on Twitter. It was literally just a Twitter DM. <laughs> it's crazy how. These social networks can get you somewhere. So I took over as uh, the managing editor for him after a couple of years. And I am now focusing on just working with making my content go up. So I'm now, I'm now back into a writer role. But it's been it's been awesome to kind of figure out, you know, just what people like to consume, making that content. I've had the opportunity to interview players and former players and do a lot of cool things. So I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. And listen, again, we're a Brown show. But if you want a little insight as to what's going on with the Ravens, if you want to kind of research about what's going on with an NFC or an AFC North opponent, a foe, uh, Kevin's a great one to follow. He does a, you do a great job with uh, Lockdown. You do a great job with Ravens Wire, and he's a good one to get insight from. So now let's stop being so nice to each other and let's talk about let's talk about these teams. We're through three weeks, and it's actually. I wouldn't say it's entirely similar. Uh, the first couple of weeks, the Ravens offense really humming, uh, uh, playing really well, defensively played well. Uh, uh, the Browns struggled offensively the first couple of weeks. That came around week three. Defense has been one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. Um, let's just talk about really quickly. I'll give you mine. You give me yours. Give me your early impressions of what you've seen from the Cleveland Browns. Well, I think, yeah, first of all, the defense is just – incredible miles garrett is miles garrett I don't, I don't really know if i have to say much more than that one of the best if not the best defensive players in the entire league but the thing about the browns mike over the past couple of years i'm actually a, a big andrew berry guy I, i've liked what he's yeah. done now i wasn't a huge fan of the deshaun watson trade personally i think they gave up a lot to get him and you had to be sure at that point he was going to be your guy and i know the returns are still out 
on that right now through not even a full season of play from him yet. Yeah. But I've liked what they've built, at least outside of that trade, the, the defense, the secondary with Denzel Ward in there, the Juan Thornhill move I thought was incredible. But the big thing for them is I felt like ever since Sheldon Richardson left, the defensive line was just terrible. And they ended up going out there and they got a bunch of big guys on that defensive line. And not only like just big guys, they're good. Like, you know, Shelby Harris late in the offseason was great. I know Tomlinson has been somebody who, you know, they were looking in that market at who were they in? They were in on, were they in on Hargrave? Was that the guy who they were in on? Everybody. Literally. Name a name. They were in. Everybody. But they ended (laughs) up finally addressing it. I know that, you know, people have some questions about some of the positions on the offensive line and wide receiver wise. Amari Cooper's great. That that move was, again, incredible getting him for what they did from the Cowboys. The Nick Chubb injury is terrible. I mean, that's something you never want to see. But Jerome Ford was actually my running back draft darling in that 2022 draft. And Cleveland just had to go out there. They had to go steal him. From <laughs> see, the it, it happens other places, too. And, and just for all you Browns fans watching, it happens sometimes with us, too. Man. But I, I think that the thing with me and the Browns is that for the past, I don't even know now. It's been since Odell was there, honestly. The Browns have been hyped up as the Super Bowl contender and every season. It's like, well, you know, they get Odell and Jarvis Landry and then they get Deshaun and all this stuff. And it's like, well, this is finally the year that it's going to happen. And then it never happens. Like they had the one year where, you know, the playoffs, that was great. They had that little mini run there with Baker, which was awesome. But they haven't lived up to those expectations. So for me, it's not so much as I like, I don't believe in them. It's like, I just want to see it happen now. Like I've gone in on them too many times and have it spit right back out in my face where I'm just like, look, you got to show it to me first before I go in there and actually say something about them. So I like the roster. I thought they honestly have one of the best off seasons in the division. But at this point, again, they've the defense is there. I have no questions about how good that defense is. But I mean, the play with Deshaun, he played better last week than he did against Pittsburgh. And I think it was not a very high bar, but that that's the key for them. If he can get back to his Houston form, then I think they're a really formidable team. But obviously, like a lot of these teams, you live and die by the quarterback, regardless of how good the defense is. It's not very often, you know, you're not two, 2000 Ravens did it where they had Dilfert quarterback and they well, did it. Yeah. But at this point, you know, if Watson can be a form of his Houston version. I think they're in good position, but it has to start with him and the defense can do the rest, honestly. Yeah. And if I were to give you the outside perspective, the Ravens, uh, I don't know. And I, and I, and I hate to sympathize with the Ravens too much, but I don't know over the past couple of years that I've ever seen a team come up with injuries like the Baltimore Ravens do. I mean, it, it is just one. And I know we here in Cleveland have experienced a massive injury to a guy that really is the heart and soul of our team. But for you guys, it just continues to be one thing after the next. When you look at the at the Ravens, inj- look at the injury report for you guys. I mean, <laughs> and we're talking about, we're talking about like players that you guys are counting on. Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. If, if you're going to go into a game against Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith and you don't have Ronnie Stanley out there, that's a, that's a tough ask for anybody else that's going out. Tyler Linderbaum, a great center. With Williams and Humphrey both out. And again, we know about Odell here. We know uh, so far the Odell experiment in Baltimore is almost to a T outside of the health issue. Exactly how the Odell situation happened in Cleveland. When he first got to Cleveland, man, he was ideal. Everything about he was in schools giving out shoes. He was Mr. Community Man. And, and I just saw comments from Mark Andrews about Odell. Uh, uh, maybe today, yesterday, 
calling him just a great teammate. He's been great for the locker room. That all sounds very familiar. Uh, you got to give that a little time to make sure you got to make sure he's getting the ball and then he'll stay that way. But the injuries for this team are brutal. The one thing you don't have going on that you've had in the past is as of now, Lamar Jackson's healthy. And, and we don't even see J.K. Dobbins even on this list, but J.K. Dobbins belongs on this list. Uh, uh, so Lamar's healthy. The offense got off to a pretty darn good start against both Houston and Baltimore. Uh, and then there wasn't uh, like Ian, our producer, that made this graphic said I just ran out of space. That's <laughs> how it is. Yeah, we would. We like J.K. Dobbins. He's a Buckeye. But uh, yeah, we just ran out of space. Uh, but yeah, even with the injury starting two and one. Uh, Catching a catching the Bengals when when both of us caught them catching the Texans on the first game of a rookie, uh, but then a little bit of a wall. This this was a surprising game because even they got out kind of fast against the Colts, and then things just really kind of sputtered. The Ravens, I'll tell you from an outside perspective, Kevin, if Lamar Jackson and and everybody likes to say everything that they don't like about Lamar Jackson, right? For anybody that doesn't live in Baltimore likes to call Lamar Jackson a running back. Every that's it's it's what everybody likes to do for everybody that doesn't like him. In my opinion, he they are a scary team if he's at the quarterback. They're going to be very difficult to beat when he's at the quarterback and he's healthy because when everything goes right for your defense, he can pull something to make something go wrong. And that's what we're open for out of a guy like Deshaun Watson because he's got those capabilities too. Uh, but you know, it's it's always real hard, even with the injury list piled up. Even playing as well as the Browns are playing, it's real hard to go in against the Ravens and feel 100,000% confident because you just never know when Lamar Jackson's going to do something ridiculous. Uh, so it's an interesting start to the year. It's If there's any team that understands, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but if there's any team that understands how to cope with injuries, it's got to be Baltimore at this point, right? Yeah, they have been... I don't even, I, I'm so numb to it, Mike, at this point where that graphic, yeah, I could, I could have listed like 10 other names and I, you know, I don't blame, you know, they're not being enough room because JK is obviously out for the season. And besides those guys already on there, you know, they have others like Adafi Owe who injured his ankle and David Ajabo and Rashad Bateman's yep. hamstring tightened up on him. Gus Edwards in concussion protocol. It's like I, I entered this year where I felt very confident in the Ravens depth. But their depth is just getting completely sliced right now where they, they yeah. had enough, but it's really getting to the point now where they've already had to bring in Kenyon Drake to the practice squad. There are reports that they're signing Kyle Van Noy to the practice squad yeah. because they're down three outside linebackers in week three. Like we're already in, in three weeks. The Ravens have lost three outside linebackers, two running backs, a wide receiver, well, two wide receivers. Tylen Wallace is on IR now. It's a couple corners. Now I think that, some of these guys should be returning or at least ramping up starting this week. I wouldn't be shocked if Marlon Humphrey started ramp up and maybe had a shot to play in this one. Maybe a couple other guys start. Not everybody's going to come back, but I think that with, if there's one silver lining in everything, the past couple of seasons, a lot of these injuries have been season ending. The only one that is confirmed to be season ending is JK Dobbins. At some point they should get Marlon and, and Ronnie Stanley and Linderbaum and Marcus Williams and all those guys back. But the thing is, with this being with it being this early in the season, it's a new offensive system with Todd Munkin. It's kind of hard to get chemistry when you're shuffling so many guys in and yeah. out. It happened a couple of years ago with the Ravens in training camp in 2021. 
when they had signed Kevin Zeitler. They were moving Bradley Bozeman to center. Ronnie Stanley was coming back from his brutal ankle injury that he suffered against Pittsburgh. But it was like one or two guys every week that were out, and they never got to be a full offensive line together throughout, I think, all of training camp outside of maybe the last three days. And that can be hard. And especially if you go back to this season where, you know, Greg Roman's out, Todd Munkin is in. It's been hard for them to get chemistry on both sides of the ball, even defensively, where I think they have been pretty good this year. It's tough. So the Ravens, I, my, my joke is that they're still paying the price for 2019 when I think they lost maybe one starter that entire season and maybe like two <laughs> players. Like th that was one of the cleanest bills of health I've ever seen them have. And then for the next four seasons, it's just been ridiculous top of the like i know san francisco's had a year which was just brutal tennessee oh, yeah. had a year and cleveland pittsburgh like these i don't use injuries and excuse for the most part because every team goes through them and i acknowledge that but the, the level the ravens are on right now and have been on is just we're already getting to like cvs receipt levels and we're not even a month into the season yet so you guys again, are on the browns quarterback jersey level um, yeah so. exactly you're, you're going <laughs> off the jersey with these injuries right now so Again, the Ravens, they built their roster up for this. It's a lot better at a lot of positions than it was, say, last year when it was Rashad Bateman in the wide receiver room and literally nobody else. Yeah. But at this point, you know, you, every week I go into it and I'm like, well, how many starters are they going to lose this week? Because every week so far, and this goes back years, it's been, oh, they lose a couple of guys. And some guys come back, some guys don't. But it seems like a guy goes down every week and it's, it's deflating because the, the team has so much potential. I'm not saying they don't without the guys in there. But my saying is with every injury, it lowers your ceiling and lowers your floor. And depending on how good the guys are that go, obviously Lamar is the top of that, where we've seen it over the past couple of years, the drop off from Lamar to Tyler Huntley is ridiculously large. You mean pro bowler Tyler. It, that is true. I will give him that he is a pro bowler, but at the end of the day, the Ravens, yeah, it's been a couple of injuries that, uh, you know, have, have derailed them so far. I know if they had a couple of guys, they, probably would have won this Colts game. But then again, it was the execution was terrible and it was a wet game and some coaching decisions. So it's a bunch of what it could have showed is you got to move forward with what you have. This game is getting played on Sunday, regardless of who's injured or not. So you got to go out there and play. Hey, a question from the comments uh, from Paul Spencer. Uh, people are familiar here with uh, Todd Munkin here in Cleveland. Uh, so just, again, your impressions on the thought of bringing him in to work with the offense. Uh, and, and obviously, like you just said, it's hard to get such a good grasp on early returns with the with the injuries but from what you can grasp your thoughts on the early returns of the Ravens under Munkin well I, th I think it was the right move for them first of all just moving off of Greg Roman in the first place the, the ceiling of this Ravens offense was nowhere near what it what it is now under Roman he hit his ceiling probably a couple of years ago the Ravens are very loyal to their players coaches staff sometimes almost a little too loyal so sometimes they keep him around a little too long. But with Munkin, him coming in, the idea was to throw the football more, be a more up-tempo offense, because the Ravens are that team where you look back over the past couple of seasons, they'd get to the line almost every single play, and the play clock would be at five or at three, and they'd have to burn timeouts, lay a game penalties. You've seen the tempo. But again, it has been hard to kind of figure out, you know, exactly where Todd Munkin wants to use these guys a lot. Zay Flowers, essentially, and my bold prediction going into the season was Zay Flowers would be the number one wide receiver by the time the season ends on this team. That happened in week one. Like, it, it literally happened in week. So I'm, I hit on that. And that I'm happened. Like, yeah, done. finally a bold prediction of mine goes right. But it's been a lot of Zay Flowers. 
Mark Andrews, they missed week one. He came back, but I don't think he's being utilized the way he has been utilized in the past. Rashad Bateman has not had a lot of looks from Lamar. He's not getting a ton of one-on-one opportunities. Otto Beckham has been all right. He's drawn a couple of penalties and, you know, hasn't been this like eight reception for a hundred yard per game guy, but that's not what they need out of him right now. And at this point, Munkin is someone that the play calling in the Colts game was a little too conservative. You mentioned it started off really well, that 12 play 80 yard drive against the Colts, but then didn't really take deep shots down the fields. Like for example, for flowers, I think he's tied for 11th in catches and tied for 20th in targets, but he's tied for 60th in yards per target. So I think the Ravens pushing the ball down the field needs to be a little bit more of an emphasis for them. And again, it's hard because sometimes teams are boxing them in. They're putting two safeties high and they're making the Ravens kind of do a thousand paper cuts. But I think I was never expecting the Ravens offense to click on all cylinders week one and just be amazing for the entire season. It always takes time for a new offense, defense, whatever, to gel with a new coordinator and pieces. But the issue was that the Ravens have three of their first five games on the road against AFC North opponents. They're they're yeah. going to be done, Mike, with their AFC North road games by the time week five is done. So yeah. it's not a great time to have to gel and figure things out when these games are going to mean so much super early on. I know that the Browns have had their divisional games are going to, and you know it's not just the Ravens that have to play divisional games early on. But yeah, I think Munkin coming in was great. Now I know his tenure in Cleveland was kind of overshadowed at the end by a. Uh, you know, the, the Freddie Kitchens experience <laughs> did not go very well over there. But I, I think he was the right guy. NFL experience, college experience, multiple national championships over there at Georgia. I, I think that he was the right hire. All right. So let's really quickly, let's look at this last week before we look ahead to the upcoming game. Obviously, we've talked about Baltimore, a disappointing. Uh, both teams have had their disappointing loss, uh, whether it was the Browns against the Steelers. And, and everything that goes behind that loss, disappointing in so many factors, not just that you lost, but you lost Nick Chubb and you lost a game in which you were winning in the fourth quarter, gave up negative seven yards and still managed to lose. Uh, and you guys this week, Gardner Minshew and the Colts uh, and Gardner Minshew's a guy that's won some games in the NFL, but he's certainly not a good NFL quarterback. He is Gardner Minshew. Uh, and it was interesting. It's interesting just to look at the box score of that game. Uh, the Colts ran something like 80, 80 some offensive plays. Uh, Gardner Minshew threw the ball a ton. I want to say they ran the ball with Zach Moss something like 30 times with Zach Moss. <laughs> uh, uh, they managed to keep their offense on the field a pretty good bit. So just, you know, from your eyes in that game, what was the you talked about uh, conservative play calling offensively? It doesn't seem like the Ravens offense was really able to sustain any drives after that first one. They uh, they seemed to be on and off the field pretty quickly. And it seemed like that Ravens defense was on the field a whole heck of a lot in that game. Yeah, it uh, it was just sloppiness overall. The Ravens have been pretty sloppy over the first three games for them. Cincinnati was not as bad, but it was it was a different kind of sloppy for the week one and week three games. Week one, the Ravens had 13 penalties for over 100 yards. It was, I think, the tie for the seventh most in team history. They're most since 2016. It was just penalty after penalty after penalty. In this game, the Ravens had one penalty for five yards. So you think, all right, the Ravens have one penalty. They win that game if they have one penalty for five yards. But it was a different kind of sloppy with the offensive execution, where 
there were in the second quarter, well, it might have been late first to the end of the second quarter, there were four straight drives with four fumbles. So they had one fumble every drive for four straight drives. They recovered two and they lost two. And the first one was, you know, the Ravens were in, they were getting into the Colts red zone. Kenyon Drake catches the ball and the Colts defender, I mean, credit to the defender, it was a great play, punches the ball out and essentially kills all the momentum they had in the first place. The defense did enough to win. There were, you mentioned Zach Moss, there were a couple of big runs that he had. I think he had, what, 122 yards on all those carries. So there were a couple of big plays in the on the ground, but I think they held Minshew in check for the most part. I mean, that catch by Michael Pittman at the end was, I mean, you just got to tip your hat and say, you know, hats off, give the flowers and move on. But defense was, they were blitzing Minshew and they had, they had no, Kyle Hamilton had three sacks in the first half, I think, which like tied an NFL record for most sacks by a defensive back in the first half of a game. And yeah. I think broke multiple Ravens records. So it's disappointing that, the defense did all this and then the offense they but the thing with this game mike is the interesting part is the colts and gus bradley they don't blitz like gus bradley's not an aggressive blitzing defensive coordinator but as the game went on in the fourth quarter and overtime the ravens ended up getting a lot of pressure looks from the colts and gus bradley started as i think like 38 to 40 percent of his plays in the fourth quarter were blitzes and yep. you could start to see that the throw started to go behind receivers. Lamar wasn't timing up with the receivers. The ball had to be rushed. The, the internal clock speeds up. And that's kind of what happened. So that was interesting. And then also there were a couple of interesting decisions where the Ravens got, they get a safety with 203 to go in the fourth quarter. They're up by three at that point. But the thing that happened was the play clock ran down to about 158. But then upon review, Minshew stepped out of bounds, the whole, the whole Dan Orlovsky situation. Yes. And so they put time back on the clock, 203. But they'd already communicated to Zay Flowers to take the fair catch to obviously not risk a fumble or anything crazy happening because the two-minute warning already passed, so the Colts couldn't stop the clock. It was only one time. But the Ravens didn't call the timeout after the clock was reset to tell Zay Flowers, hey, don't take the fair catch, run the ball down to under the two-minute warning. So the Colts had two opportunities to stop the clock, the Ravens go three and out and the Colts drive down the field and tie the game. And then Justin yeah. Tucker missed from 61 to end regulation had two opportunities at a 62 and a 64 yard or an overtime. John Harbaugh likes to pass up the greatest kicker of all time twice, punts <laughs> it on one play and goes for it on fourth down. And now look, I never want to use the refs in, in, as an excuse and I won't hear either, but there were two plays late in the game against a flowers, a face mask that would have ended the game essentially into pass interference that would have ended the game essentially that were not called. Now, should the Ravens have let it got to that point? No. Like, they should have not let the refs dictate how the game went. They should have executed better. Like, you can't blame the refs for a game that you didn't execute in and could have won by 10 if you didn't fumble the ball four times on four straight drives. But at the same time, it's a bunch of different things going into a, a pretty disappointing and could be catastrophic loss depending on how the situation ends. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with some of the comments. You're not going to get a lot of sympathy here. However, I will say, if I if I was a Ravens fan, that that grab on Zay Flowers in, uh, uh, in was that overtime, I think, or late in the game, whenever it was, late in the game. This match was late in the fourth, and the pass interference was overtime. Yeah, that uh, yeah, I'd have been I'd have been fuming about that yeah. pass interference. On the other <laughs> side, the Browns come out. I'm gonna tell you what, Kevin. Things were about to get real interesting thing here in Cleveland, and and I've said it. I'm not judging Deshaun Watson on last year. That Deshaun Watson came out and played six games for stuffs and giggles, basically. Uh, and it didn't look great most of the time. 
and we said it after the season. I'm not going to, a lot of people said we're not going to judge him based on that. He comes out in the first two games of this season, doesn't look great. And all of a sudden it's, well, he's had eight games here in Cleveland. And I'm like, well, you can't say you're not going to judge him on last year and then, and then judge him on last year. But I said, we said before last week's game, things were going to get real interesting. If Deshaun came out and didn't play well at home, I think you were going to start to hear some boo birds happening in Cleveland for Deshaun Watson. And that is disastrous kind of stuff. Uh, and Deshaun came out and started. They got him in a rhythm pretty early in this game against the Titans. Uh, I want to say he completed, I don't know, his first eight or nine passes, something like that. Uh, nothing big, nothing major, but he was just in a bit of a rhythm. He got out of a couple sacks, uh, got into a, a good uh, a, a good rhythm. They got into running the ball a little bit. The defense, outstanding. I mean, just absolutely mauling uh, the Tennessee Titans. And in the end, Deshaun had his best game as a Cleveland Brown. And the Browns go ahead to win 27-3 to over the Tennessee Titans in a game that we haven't experienced a whole lot of this, uh, but it just was never really much of a game. Uh, the Browns, even when they were only up 10, it just felt like the Titans were never going to move the ball on the Cleveland Browns. They were never going to score. They were never going to get him. I, the one time the Browns let them get into uh, the red zone after a fumble by Elijah Moore, the very next play, they sacked Ryan Tannehill out of the red zone. Like the Browns just have not been letting people get down the field deep on them. Uh, and that that was the case. So defensively, everything to be excited about for the Cleveland Browns. And this game was such an exclamation point. Uh, offensively, it was just, it was nice to see a little bit of the hope come back here in Cleveland. Because again, it was starting to fade. And it was nice to see a little of the hope come back. It was nice to see they could still run the ball a little bit, even though they didn't run it really well. But they got big runs when they needed them. Um uh, Kareem Hunt is back with the Browns. You saw him get a huge ovation from the Browns fans. And it was a nice bounce back. I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel about the game. I think the Titans are – any team that has Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback is not a team that's going to uh, – I'm really going to ever pick to win games, <laughs> ever. Uh, and I don't think they're a very good team, but after the emotions and everything of that Steelers loss, the Browns came back to get a win last week. So – now let's move on, Kevin, and let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Week four, two teams coming in in the AFC North, two and one. Uh, you guys, I think it's the Steelers next week then, right? Yes, yep, week five Steelers. So you guys get the Steelers in Pittsburgh week five. We get a bye week, and then we have to take on San Francisco after the bye. Uh, so an early bye week and then going into San Francisco. So I'll tell you what, here in Cleveland, Kevin, I don't know how it's feeling there in Baltimore, but here in Cleveland, this feels like a really important game because if we can head into that game, one, you never want to go into the bye on a loss. Two, if you can go into that game with San Francisco at 3-1 and one, as opposed to 2-2, two and two, uh, it makes you feel a lot better about what might happen in that ball, in that San Francisco game because that's a really good team. Uh, how are you guys feeling about uh, just what's the overall theme so far for this uh, this game against the Cleveland Browns? Well, I think people here in Baltimore understand how good the Cleveland defense is, and they understand the sloppiness with the way that it has gone so far. That's not going to fly at all against the Cleveland defense where just like we've seen the first couple of weeks. Now the Texans game week one was seven to six at halftime Ravens. Everybody's freaking out. They're like, this is the Texans. <laughs> what? How is it only a one point game, but it was penalties and bad mistakes and this, that, and the other, both offensively and defensively. Again, it got better for the Ravens in week two against the Bengals. They were still a couple of holding calls, took away some stuff, but then in week three, 
again, the Colts defense, they have a great front seven. The secondary was the weak point. The secondary did a really good job. And that was, it was a weird game weather-wise. They had the tropical storm come through Baltimore and the field conditions were weird and everything. But again, if you fumble four straight times against the Cleveland defense, I mean, I think the Browns offense is better than the Colts offense, regardless of, you know, Watson and the, the questions surrounding him. I think Jerome Ford, as I talked about, is great. The wide receivers they have there. I know there are some questions about if they need more, but Amari Cooper can give you something. I thought the Elijah Moore thing is, I think it'll come around fully as the season goes on. But Donovan Peoples-Jones, again, was one of my draft crushes in Cleveland. Took I won the third round. Every round after the third round, I was saying, give me Donovan Peoples-Jones. Give me Donovan Peoples-Jones. Then Cleveland gets the most the sixth round. That was yeah. people's Jones. So I thought that was a great pick for him. And then again, and Joku was somebody that I've always been a big believer in and he's, you know, last year was great for him. And I think he'll be able to stack on another great year by the time the season ends of this year. So uh, there are some questions about, I, I think the Browns offensive line I talked about has a couple of questions here and there, but the Ravens pass rush also has a couple of questions here and there. Cause uh, old friend of yours, Jadavian Clowney's come into Baltimore and actually played really good football. He's been really good for the Ravens. He's essentially their top pass rusher. Now that Lafayette is out and David Ajabo whenever he comes back, but he's been a disruptor for them. But other than that, I mean, they literally just, I think literally a minute ago, I checked it up, agreed in terms of Kyle Van Noy. I don't know if he's going to play this week. And if he does, I don't think it'll be a, I don't think it'll be a very big role for him because he's going to uh, have to learn yeah. defense and figure things out. But with this Ravens defense, if Marlon Humphrey comes back, that helps against Amari Cooper in that Browns receiving trio. But at the end of the day, the Ravens have to play mistake-free or as close to mistake-free as they can. Because I think Cleveland, you know, the version of Cincinnati that the Ravens got is I don't, I don't think the version of Cincinnati the Ravens will get by the time the season ends. No. Especially, it, it, that depends on if Joe Burrow's injured or not. But I think that they will be a better team than that. I think Cleveland's a big test for them. I know everybody can talk about, oh, they've been bad for so many years, and they, they the Ravens have all time done this and that. But this is a, it's a different Cleveland team at this point. Like you have to, I respect what Andrew Barry has done. Again, I'll, I'll say it, I wasn't a big fan of the Watson move, but the defense he's built has been incredible, and we've kind of seen like every year he's kind of chipped away to need, but left one, and then chipped away, and then left one. I think this is the year yeah. where it all kind of fully came together for him. And the Ravens offense, which is still going to be missing some guys, probably. I don't know who it's going to be. And, you know, guys like Stanley, Linderbaum, whoever can come back. But I think these AFC North games, Mike, are always so weird. Like, they yes. come down to the wire. It's hard, physical, tough-nosed football. I'm expecting a close game. I'm expecting a physical game with some heat to it. And I'm, I'm excited. AFC North football always makes me excited. So I'm, I'm ready for it. But two teams that I think have high-powered offenses when they're clicking – the defenses are really, really good, and I think it'll be a good matchup. Where do you think, if we're talking about Browns offense, Ravens defense, where do you think the Ravens defense has the biggest advantage? Where do you think they can play to a biggest strength to limit the Cleveland Browns offensively? Well, I think Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are, in my opinion, maybe it's low bias, the best inside linebacker duo in the NFL. Roquan came in here and just you know took over a leadership role and – really helped out a lot of the players on the defense and even elevated Patrick Queen. And that's not saying Queen wasn't playing well before. I think Queen did a lot early in the season to improve. He was very inconsistent. What Ro Roquan Smith came in and elevated everybody, Queen included. Those two have continued that this season. And I think for the Ravens, just being able to, if they can, make Cleveland a one-dimensional offense. If they can shut down the run game, which admittedly is a little easier without Nick Chubb in there because Chubb, 
I know that they, after well, that 2019 game, Chubb ran wild. And then after that, the Ravens had shut him down pretty well. But again, like we saw last year, the, the Cleveland and Baltimore games can get a little weird. So if you can shut down the run, you can get Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen free, stuff to roam for in the backfield. You know, I don't know how big Kareem Hunt role, the Hunt role is going to be this week if he plays. So we'll see. But I think if you can make the Browns offense one-dimensional and force them to throw the ball, the secondary for the Ravens, I think, is the weak point. If Marlon comes back, it's a strength. Well, not a strike, but it gets stronger than it is with it. You know, yeah, guys sure. like Ronald Darby, Brandon Stevens, and Rocky Yassin, Geno Stone. All of those guys have played well and admirably. The Ravens, surprisingly, if you didn't know, Mike, the Ravens have the second best pass defense in the NFL right now. And that's with Marlon and Marcus Williams out. Now they have played CJ Stroud and they've played Joe Burrow, who wasn't Gardner a 100%, Minshew. and Gardner Minshew. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not shying away from it. But the stat is there, so I'm going to put it out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but obviously, I think this this Cleveland test will be one that, you know, the secondary will have to play with. Brandon Stevens has played very physical, being able to play press at the line and kind of shove guys off their routes early. Something the Ravens do, though, is they play guys off in weird situations. Like, it'll be a third and yes. three, and they'll play guys seven yards off. And I'm, I'm like, why? You, you got to press them at the line and make sure they don't get off and make that. So I don't know what they'll do in their secondary but I think if there's one area that the Ravens can hopefully go in, and Cleveland's been, you know, they've been up there with Baltimore for the past couple of years in terms of a rushing team. But without Nick Chubb being in there, I think Jerome Ford is really good, but he's not Nick Chubb. So I think if you can take that away from Cleveland and force them to be one-dimensional, I think Roquan and Patrick Queen are the two guys that can do that, especially if the defensive line can free them up. Yeah, and I think it's huge. I think it's huge for the Browns from our perspective. If you can make Baltimore feel like they need to put Roquan and Patrick Queen in pass rushing situations and get them off the middle of the field there, I think that could open up a lot for Elijah Moore, for David Njoku. Uh, again, you said it before, the Baltimore pass rush, the injuries, everything has not been great. If Jada- and, and listen, I know he's been great for you, but if Jadavian Clowney is your number one pass rusher coming in, if he's your, if he's your number one guy off the edge there, that – is not the world's greatest situation to be in. Uh, uh, I know he's a big name, but, and we saw, we saw one really good year out of him here in Cleveland. We saw a really bad year out of him here in Cleveland. We just, he's just that kind of guy. But I think if the Browns can, can, can make Baltimore feel like they, they have to get to Deshaun Watson, like they've got to generate a pass rush in more ways than just bringing their front. I think that opens up the field a little bit. Again, if injuries are still holding the guy like Marlon Humphreys out, I think that is a really dangerous situation because I don't know I don't know what it is, Kevin. I don't know what it is. I don't know why Amari Cooper doesn't get the love that literally anybody else gets. This is the guy that led the AFC in receiving last year when he had Jacoby Brissett throwing in the ball. And uh, who else? Deshaun for like a minute. Uh, he was outstanding all year last year. And he's leading the AFC again this year in receiving. Uh, he's been ridiculously good. Um, I don't know why he doesn't get the love that he deserves, but AFC North, sorry, not AFC. Uh, uh, I think if Deshaun Watson, I think if he, if they don't pressure him and he gets a little time and he can stay comfortable and in a rhythm, I think he showed you last week that he can make the plays, uh, to win games. So I think for the Browns, it's just a, Keeping that protection going, I mean, a guy like Dewan Jones on the right side of the line has been outrageous for a mid-round draft pick. Uh, he has been, he didn't allow a sack or a, I don't think he even allowed a pressure last week against a pretty good Tennessee defense. Uh, 
so yeah, I, I think I think that's it. I think, and I think you got to try to keep them off balance somehow. If you're the Browns, you got to figure out a way to keep the the Ravens off balance uh, when it comes to running the football because you can't make them feel like they don't have to respect the run. I mean, uh, the Ravens, if nothing else, they're a team that you can't let them just pin their ears back and think that they don't have to respect one element of the game because that's where they're dangerous when they're attacking like that. So uh, that Browns offense versus Ravens defense to me, that side of the football is the deciding factor in this game because if the Browns offense comes out and plays like they did against Pittsburgh, it's not going to be great. But if they come out and play like they did against Tennessee, it'll be a, it'll be a much more compelling uh, game to watch. On the other side of the ball, Kevin, let's go back to you. Talk about, we've talked about the Browns defense. We've talked about the Ravens offense. We've talked about the injuries, but talk about where you see the Ravens offense being able to attack the Browns defense. Yeah. I mean, I think with the Ravens, you're going to have to try to establish the run early in this one. Now that might be a little tough because, if Gus Edwards is in concussion protocol and isn't able to play, if Justice Hill with the toe thing isn't able to play, JK is already out for the season. Essentially, you're rolling with a Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake backfield, which is I Mark like Andrews might back be, there. Like the Ravens, I think, go from having like a top five backfield in the NFL when fully healthy to probably the worst backfield in the NFL if Dobbins, week Edwards, three. and Hill can't play. Like that would just be ultimate disaster. You also probably call up Owen Wright from the practice squad. But again, that's not a name that's going to go out there. I mean, maybe he doesn't just surprise. Gus Edwards was a guy who no one knew. 2018 on draft, a guy caught it from the practice squad and has averaged over five yards a K for his career. Now, I think if, if by some way you can go out there and establish the run against a much improved Browns defensive front. I mean, I know this year the Browns are uh, they're doing the thing defensively in the run game with uh, being the second best run defense and the best passing defense in the NFL right now. That's a very tall task to step up to but I think part of it's also going to be just get the quick hitter stuff out of the way and then take a couple of shots deep make the Browns respect the quick hitter stuff and then go over the top now that's not easy to do especially because the Ravens they had the one big play to Zay Flowers in the Bengals game 52 yards but the Colts again started to box them in and didn't really let them get those deep opportunities if you do that again I mean you're going to have to figure it out how to just attack this Cleveland defense. And part of it's also just keeping Lamar upright and against the pass rush with Miles Garrett and former friends, Darius Smith over here. And uh, you got the interior defensive lineman too. If Ronnie Stanley can't come back, if, if Tyler Linderbaum can't come back and I give credit to Patrick McCary and, and Sam Mustafer who have stepped in and actually played a lot better than I thought, but against Miles Garrett. And I think I was, I think Miles Garrett might've been the one who called Patrick McCary, one of the best tackles in the NFL might have, I can't remember if it was or not, but McCary is a much better tackle than people give him credit for. Mustafer is better than people give him credit for, but it's going to be a hard day for the offensive line, regardless of who's out there. It's going to be a battle. Kevin Zeitler, who I know is another former friend of, of the Cleveland yeah, Browns. Yeah. He's had an up and down start to the season. John Simpson wins their starting left guard job. He's also been up and down this season so far. Morgan Moses, he, he started off really strong in week one and two, kind of came back to earth a little bit in week three. So you have to keep Lamar upright. And Lamar's the magician. Like he's Houdini, right? Kevin Harlan said it, where he can escape anything. And we've seen that a little bit more than I think even we've seen it recently this year, where you can do everything right as a defense. You can cover everybody. You can get pressure home. And Lamar will still find a way to pick up 10 or 15 yards on a scramble or making something out of nothing. We saw it multiple times against the Bengals, multiple times against the Colts. 
it happens to every team. And I know the Browns have seen it happen before on that play, you know, the Mark Andrews touchdown a couple of years ago and that ugly, yes. ugly, ugly, ugly game. And, you know, Clowney slams his helmet and Garrett shakes Lamar's hand. You know, it's one of the iconic clips. But again, he, he can't escape everything. He can't do it by himself. For me, it all starts for an offense up front, protecting your quarterback and making sure he feels comfortable in the pocket. Lamar has been making some really good throws mm -hmm. this year. Not all of them have been good. But at this point, if he is feeling pressure and gets a little antsy in the pocket and feels like he has to escape, Miles Garrett's going to get to him. Like, it's, he's, it's, I don't think it's very it's not very easy to go out there and stifle miles Garrett for a full 60 minutes, him and TJ water, those two guys where you have to admit the fact that yeah, pressure is going to get there regardless of how well you play, but it's a matter of, can you neutralize him enough to keep Lamar in the pocket, keep him comfortable and keep him slicing and dicing. I think that's going to be the key for me. And Zay flowers one-on-one -on -one too is another thing where it's very hard to cover him. He's a very good route runner. You, you have to bring some sort of help already, which is kind of crazy to talk about because he's in his, fourth NFL game right, right now right but he's that good of a route runner so that's where I think the Ravens can attack a little bit but it's going to be a hard-fought game for sure yeah I think I think there's two areas and this side of the ball that that are as a Browns fan I'm interested in I think the defensive backs uh you know these are uh, this is a defensive backfield in Cleveland here now with Denzel Ward and 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 the safeties and and hopefully Greg Newsom back and MJ Emerson and uh these are guys that like to play one-on-one -on -one they like to get tight and, and, uh, uh, and, and Jim Schwartz is letting them do it. That's, that's been the, that's probably for a, I think if you ask a lot of Browns fans, the best part about this year, Jim Schwartz is letting these guys play the kind of defense that they want to play, which is man coverage, get in there and fight with these guys. And they've gone up with some pretty darn good receivers so far, and none of them have come away with anything. Uh, and so it's a great test for the Browns and Zay Flowers, the probably, it's certainly one of the top rookie receivers, if not the top rookie receiver uh, in the league this year. Uh, it'll be a great test for them, uh, but it'll be a great test for the Ravens receivers. The other guys for me, I think the most important guys on the field for me are Shelby Harris, Dalvin Tomlinson, unheralded but rock star Maurice Hurst has, has been outstanding for the Browns. Uh, that interior defensive line, you know you're going to get pressure from Garrett and from Smith and Okoronkwo, and they're going to bring it from a lot of different places. You saw Miles Garrett go in motion on defense, and the Titans' offense took two tight ends to run with him. That was one of the wildest things I've ever seen on a football field. You know they're going to get pressure on the outside. Here's the nightmare for all of us Browns fans. We've seen them get pressure on Lamar Jackson year in and year out, year in and year out, and then Lamar finds his way up the middle. You got whoever, Clowney in the past and Garrett, breaking down the outside and there goes Lamar up the middle because a guy like Jordan Elliott's getting blocked 26 yards down the field or Tommy Togiai is nowhere to be found or Perry on Winfrey's not even in the league. Uh, now with guys up the middle that can be stout for me, the key is the Browns can't let Lamar have easy getaway lanes, get your pressure from those guys on the outside. JOK uh, in the middle is a big deal to try to, to try to keep an eye on Lamar Jackson uh, and don't let him have the giveaway, uh, the getaway lanes. If you can, like for us, if we can keep Lamar in the pocket, not give him any easy outs, we can get to Lamar Jackson. It's scary when he can get out of there. And so that's the hope for Browns fans defensively. That's the hope for the Browns defensively. Let your guys on the outside do what they do. Let the defensive backs do what they do, but do not let Lamar Jackson do exactly what you said. Do not let him be Houdini.
Do not let him be a magician because if you do, it doesn't matter. Those guys can only cover for so long down the field. And otherwise, guys are going to get open. So you got to get to him. You got to make it quick. That's what the Colts were able to do to him late in that game. That's what the Browns are going to have to do to him as well. So, uh, all right, Kevin, we are going to wrap up here on the doghouse. It's been awesome, man. This wasn't nearly as mean as it should be between the Browns <laughs> and the Ravens. I do hate your team, but I kind of you, you've been a good guest, so fine. Uh, let's just do the last thing before we let you go, and let's do our predictions for this game. Kevin, the 2-1 and one Baltimore Ravens coming to Cleveland to take on the 2-1 and one Cleveland Browns. What's your prediction for this game? Man, I, I think it's going to be close, going to be physical. It honestly depends so much on who comes back for them. Like, I think if Marlon Humphrey is able to come back, maybe a Ronnie Stanley returns this week. That would help a lot, obviously, against Miles Garrett. Those matchups are always fun, you know. And now I know Garrett might get Moses and Smith might get Stanley, depending on where the Browns, what if they want to play matchups. I don't know if the Ravens will be putting two tight ends to follow them like the Titans did. <laughs> but, I mean, they I don't were know. so wiped out at that point. Oh, my God, it was so funny. But I, for me... I don't know. When I whenever I have to pick these close games, I always put it down to the Justin Tucker effect. And that's yeah. what I'm gonna do this time. That's what I'm gonna do this time. I'm gonna pick the Ravens. I'm gonna pick them 20 to 19 on a late Justin Tucker field goal. That's what I'll do. There's no player in the NFL that scares me more, more than Justin <laughs> Tucker. <laughs> Literally none. Uh all right. What, sorry, what would you say the final score? 2019 Ravens. 2019 Ravens. All right. Uh, I think the Ravens have a chance to look the best offensively against the Browns than any team has so far. Uh, that's not saying a lot. Uh, I, th I will give credit to the Ravens. I think they will probably score more points than, uh, well, I don't think they're going to score more than Pittsburgh did, but I also am hoping that the Browns don't give up like a thousand points from their offense like they did in that Pittsburgh game. Uh, but I will say, I, I, I just have, I do have a belief that I think the Browns are finding their rhythm with Deshaun Watson. I think he's more comfortable in in that system. And again, for me, it's that the, 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 the defenses are, or the injuries for the Ravens, just it's so much. And I know they know how to deal with it, but it's so much. I think it's close most of the game, but I'm actually, I'm going to say 27, 17 Browns. That's going to be my oh, score right. prediction for okay. this game. I'm not calling it a blowout. I'm not calling it. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those games all the way through, but I think the Browns will have enough to kind of pull away maybe towards the end. And I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give the Browns a big, a big turnover at some point in the game that sets up a score. So that's what I'm going to say in this game. So you got the Ravens in a close one. I got the Browns in a close one until the end when I think they pull away a little bit. But listen, Kevin Ostreicher, it has been very fun uh, to have you on. You've been a great guest. Uh, again, incredibly knowledgeable about the Baltimore Ravens. And frankly, I appreciate the fact of how knowledgeable you are about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you came in here, you held your own. Uh, you survived the doghouse. I appreciate you for that. Again, if you want to know what Ravens fans are thinking, if you want to know what Ravens writers are thinking, this is a guy to follow. Go give him follow Chaos Striker at 34 on Twitter. Check out what he's doing on the Locked on Ravens podcast and on the Ravens Wire. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And from the bottom of my heart, man, go Browns. <laughs> I'll give you a go Ravens right back. I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. All right, Kevin. Again, Kevin Ostreicher from the Locked on Ravens podcast. A good dude. I, I can't, you, I just can't hate on these guys too much. And thank you guys for being nice to Kevin. Again, I don't like his team, but that's okay. I still think the Browns 27-17 over the Baltimore Ravens. That's going to do it for us here on the Doghouse. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will be gone next week with the bye week, and then we'll come back on to preview 
the uh, the 49ers. I got a great guest, by the way, for the 49ers. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, so uh, Browns Ravens coming up Sunday, one o'clock. Stay tuned with us on the OBR streaming network tonight in one hour, one hour and five minutes. Come back for Garage Beers. Me and Chad are hanging out with Andrew Spade. He's going to come on and be our third special co-host. And so we're going to have fun. We're going to drink some beers. We're going to talk Browns, Buckeyes, and so much more. So come hang out with us on Garage Beers at 9 p.m. And then tomorrow it's OBR Weekly with Barry and Fred at 7 p.m. It's All Eyes on Cleveland on Thursday at 7 p.m. with Brad Ward. And that all leads us up into Browns, Ravens, 1 p.m. Sunday. And you know after that game at 7.30 p.m., the best post-game show in the land happens right here on the OBR streaming network. That's going to do it for us here on the Doghouse. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again to Kevin Ostreicher for joining us. And until I see you again, go Browns and cheers, everybody.